You guys go ahead and grab a seat. Awesome, awesome. Um, hey, uh, hey, before we, uh, before we get started, I want to welcome everybody here this morning. If, uh, if today is your very first time you've ever been uh, to Summit, my name is Mark, and I'm the uh, lead pastor here, and we're just excited and honored to have you here. And I'll tell you what, if today is your uh, first time, uh, we have a free gift for you that we would love to give you, and you can get that really quick there at the welcome table in the lobby after church today. In everybody's seat this morning was a connection card. And that connection card is a great way for you to let us know what God does in your life. Uh, let us know how we can pray for you, how we can serve you um, as a church. And we actually ask everybody to do it. So if you're, if you're a regular here, you've been here every week for six years. Uh, that's how old our church is. If you're wondering why we keep saying six years. Uh, then we ask you to fill that out. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Everybody does that when we receive our offering, which always happens after the sermon. And so in just a moment, anything that God does... In your life, uh, we would love to know about it. And um, and hey, I want to say something really quick uh, before we before we do dive in to the sermon. Because if you have been around for a while, if you're if you if you're new for the past for the past month, it's really something that you just kind of walked into. But if you've been around for a while. Um, uh, something I just said is something that we, is new, and we try. It's been a little bit of an experiment. Every single seat has a connection card, and we've asked every single person to fill that out. We ask everybody to fill it out every single week. Doesn't matter if you're here. You know, you're here every single week. We we ask everybody to fill it out in some way, shape, or form. And the reason that we did that is because about a month and a half ago, about two months ago, uh, I just I just asked our staff and our team. I said, Hey, what would it look like if we uh, worked as hard as we could, and we tried to, to not let anybody fall through the cracks of our church. Nobody. That if God were to bring hundreds or God were to bring thousands, however many people God brought, it doesn't matter if it's a lot or if it's a little, that, that nobody would fall through the cracks. Because at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with how many people come to the church. It's about people following Jesus, loving people, caring for people. And so we said, what if we really tried to, to not let anybody fall through the cracks? And so we said, how could we do that? Well, the way to do that is we wanted to see, well, let's try to get everybody to fill out their connection card. Uh, September was the first month we did that the entire month. And I just want to say, so if you're sitting there, I shared this with our guest service volunteers this morning. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, why do we have to do this every single week? Why do we have to fill out these cards? Is it really making a difference? Uh, I just want to share with you. And, and again, we can only go based off of uh, the information that we get from the cards anyway. Um, but last month, just based on cards, we saw over 20 first-time guests. We saw about 15 second-time guests. Here's the number to really get excited. And we hadn't seen this in, we had not seen this in at least six, uh, five or six years. Last month in the month of September, we saw 18 people give their life to Jesus Christ. That's a really big deal, man. That's a really big deal. Last month, we saw at least seven people follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That was more, the previous month, we didn't see anybody get baptized. Last month, we saw seven. We've already got more people lined up waiting to get baptized right now. And what's happening there, that little shift of, hey, let's not let anybody fall through the cracks if we can help it. How can we do that? Let's ask everybody to take a second at the end, fill out that card. I'm telling you that God has taken that little shift, and what we're seeing every single week are people asking for prayer, people taking next steps, and God is doing a lot in our church, honestly, that we have not seen in years, in significant ways. And so, man, I just want to thank you for doing that every single week and let you know that until Jesus comes, I'm going to ask you to do that. Okay? So awesome. Praise the Lord. All right, so speaking of Jesus coming back, we are going to start a series about that very idea today. Today we are starting a brand new series uh, on the end times. And if that's a new phrase for you, I'm going to unpack what that means in just 
a minute. Uh, but I'm going to pray uh, right now for our time here together. And here's what I want to say before I pray. Here's what I want to say before I pray. Hey, I don't know if you ever realize it or not, but did you know that unless God opens your heart and your mind and your eyes, and unless God opens up my heart, my mind, and my eyes, unless God moves in us, the only thing you'll get out of church is a song and a talk. Did you know that? Did you know that unless God opens up our eyes to see him, we won't see him? Did you know that? Did you know that, that you getting something out of today, this really frees me up, honestly. I think about this every week. Did you know that you getting something out of church today really has nothing at all to do with how good the sermon is? It all completely depends on God opening up your eyes. There's a reason Jesus would preach, and at the end of every single sermon Jesus ever preached, he would say this, let he who has eyes to see, let him see, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus didn't say that because he was always talking to crowds of people that didn't have ears and eyes. That'd be weird. Jesus is saying that because he was saying, Jesus said that because just now, some of you just sang some songs, and you were like, bro, are they done? And some of you just met God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? The difference, the, the shift, the thing that is the game changer is God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. And if you are not looking for that, if you are not open to that, then you will be like, was that good? I don't know. The difference between somebody's life being changed in your row and you being bored in that exact same row is the Spirit of God. That's nothing to do with whether the band is good or me if I'm good. I love that. I could stink and God could change your life. Makes my job pretty awesome, right? So I'm gonna pray, let's pray, let's pray. And hey, before we pray, once you ask God, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes, right? Let's pray. God, that's our prayer, open our eyes. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We We don't need another sermon. We need to see you. We need to encounter you. We need to meet you here. We need to hear you speak right into where we are. And God, if we're, if we're consumed with lunch, if we're, if we're online on our phone and flipping through social media on, our, on Facebook or whatever, if we're thinking about something that happened this past week or something coming up this upcoming week, and if, if God, God, we're consumed with all kinds of different things, we can hear but not really hear. And we need to really hear. It's the kind of hearing that only you can do that we want. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and that we would never be the same because of it. That's what we want. It's what we believe you for. It's what we're asking you to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, a couple weeks ago, we wrapped up a series called Like Kids. And uh, it's about, having, it's about ha- believing God for greater things, asking God uh, for, uh, for the impossible. It's an awesome series. And, and normally, I say this all the time, normally, honestly, what we do, around, uh, what we do here, the way that just God uh, leads me and, and seems to do a lot of stuff in our church, is we plan out our sermon series months, sometimes years, in advance. And, and we do that so that God can get us ready, we can pray through a lot, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, we had a really, what we thought was a, a great plan, coming out of Light Kids. I had something that I've been really excited for about the past six or seven months to, to preach to our church. And, and about the middle of that series, I just, I, I just saw that God was doing something uh, inside of me that said, I don't want you to, I don't want you to preach that series. I want, I want to put breaks on your plans, and I want to do something else. And so, uh, just started praying and, 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 and really felt like God wanted us to do a series about the end times, about the second coming of Jesus called, What in the World is Going On? 
And so we had this idea about two or three weeks ago, uh, and obviously we had no idea what would happen in Las Vegas last Sunday. And, we, and, and when we were thinking about this, we had no idea that, that there would be hurricane after hurricane after hurricane. We didn't know there would be one that would cause torrential rain and flooding this morning. Didn't know that a couple weeks ago in Tennessee somebody would come in and there would be a shooting at a church in Tennessee. We had no idea that the question that people are asking right now, whether they're a Christian, spiritual, or atheist or not, doesn't matter who you are, we had no idea that the question everybody would be asking is, what in the world is going on? Because I think that we all are asking that, aren't we? We're looking at the world, and, we're, and, we, and, we, and we've been watching the news all week. I have just been watching the news all week thinking, what in the world is happening? Or, or you look at what, what possibly uh, is, is going on with North Korea and all of that, and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? These are scary times. What is going to happen? And so everybody is asking that question right now. doesn't matter if you're a church person or not. People are watching the news. People are reading the news pe- newspaper. People are getting online wherever they get their news. People are looking at the world, and they're, and they're asking, what in the world is happening? And so we want to talk about that. We want to try to answer that question as we think about and talk about the end times. Now, now you might be new to church, or uh, maybe you're listening to this later on, you're thinking, man, I've never heard that phrase. What do we mean? What are we talking about when we talk about the end times? What, we talk, what we're talking about is the second coming of Jesus, okay? See, Jesus came once. We all celebrate that, right? Jesus came, and we think, oh, that means that I should get a gift, so you need to get me a gift because Jesus came. And so we exchange gifts, and we have Christmas. We celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but Jesus is coming back, right? Did you know that Jesus didn't stay a baby, Ricky Bobby? Did you know that? Did you know that, right? Some of you are like, take notes. I didn't know this, right? Jesus is not coming back as a little baby. Jesus is coming back, the book of Revelation says, as a warrior on a horse with a sword. You don't want to mess with this guy, all right? And so I love it because people are clapping and the new people were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming back with a sword. And you're thinking about what you did last night, bro. Oh man. And hang with me, hang with me. And uh, so that's what we're talking about, Jesus coming back. And people ask this question all the time. Mark, are we living in the end times? People have asked me that actually this uh, uh, couple of weeks just with the hurricanes and then uh, some other things going on uh, or with uh, North Korea and things. Mark, do you think we're living in the end times? Did you know that's a really easy question to answer? Because the Bible actually answers that question. Are we living in the end times? Write this down. Yes. You and I, we, we are living in the end times right now. That's not speculation. That's not me making it up. The Bible actually tells us that you and I, we are living in the end times. I'll show you a couple of places. So in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, Peter preaches the very first sermon. The Holy Spirit comes and people begin to speak in other tongues. Hang on, Baptist, hang on, hang on. And, 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 and it, just gets, it just gets crazy. And Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon. Listen to what he does. Peter uh, quotes the prophet Joel. Joel is a prophet in the Old Testament. And Peter quotes Joel and he says this, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. He says, listen, 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 everything you see happening right now, the Holy Spirit coming and people are preaching the gospel in different languages. Listen, Joel talked about this. And then here's what Peter quotes in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And in the last days, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Peter says, listen, 
This is the last days. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. He's going to keep being poured out. He's going to be poured out more until Jesus comes. This is the last days. That's how, that's how Christianity starts. The first sermon in the history is the last days. Hebrews chapter 1. In, in Hebrews chapter 1, you can write that down. It's not on the screen or anything. But in Hebrews chapter 1, the author says this, that in the last days... In the last days, God has spoken to us through his son. What's he mean? He means this, that the last days started when Jesus came the first time, and they will continue on through until he comes. Are we living in the last days? Yes, we are. We are living in the last days. Okay, well, Mark, well, well okay, I'm catching that. I hear that. But, but Mark, what's it going to be like before Jesus comes? That is actually the exact same question that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 24, okay? Matthew chapter 24 is, is where we're going to be this morning for, uh, for a brief period of time. Now, as you're turning there or you're turning on your phone, I've got I to gotta lay a couple of cards on the table for you, okay? We are going to do a lot of Bible in this, in this series. I'm going to do a lot of Bible this morning. We're going to do a lot of Bible in this series, and I think it's good for us, and I think you can handle a lot of Bible, all right? So we're going to do a lot of Bible, all right? We're going to study. We're going to dig deep here a little bit. And by the time we're done with this series, we will go all the way through Matthew 24. This is what Jesus says about the end times. Every week, we're going to look at something that Jesus says. I think Jesus says four things very clearly about the end times that he wants you and I to know in Matthew 24. So by the time we're done with this series, we will have went through this entire chapter. So today, we're going to be in the first eight verses. Let's, continue, let's, uh, let's read here. Jesus left the temple and was going away, and when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you all see these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus, what's it going to be like when you come back? What's it going to be like around the end of the world, second coming? That's what they just said. Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Watch beginning in verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus, they say, Jesus, what's it going to be like right before you come back? And i got to be honest with you, when I read Jesus' answer, i got to be honest with you, when I read Jesus' answer, it's not very satisfying. Because Jesus says this. Jesus says, listen, I'll tell you exactly what it's going to be like before I come back. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be, there's going to be plagues and pestilence. Tell me a time when those things haven't been happening. Right? It would be really helpful. Here's what I would love. I would love if Jesus would have said, listen, listen. When you hear, war, when you hear rumors of this war, bro, it's about to go down. When an earthquake hits this place and it's this magnitude, bro, five minutes, I'll be there. Hang on. Jesus is vague on purpose. Jesus is intentionally not specific. And it, and it makes sense why he does that, why he doesn't really answer the question, but he does answer the question. Jesus always does this, by the way. 
all right? But it makes sense why he does this, because think about it. If Jesus told us the exact day and time and minute he is coming back, what do you think we'd all do? Exactly, right there. We would all get ready 30 minutes before, right? Think of how packed churches would be the Sunday before Jesus comes back, right? You, you, there's not enough church buildings in the world to hold everybody that would come. Jesus is coming back Tuesday at 2.30. I'm here today, right? Right? That, that Jesus doesn't tell us the exact moment and time. And listen, listen, listen. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back, okay? Write that down. We're going to talk about that the last part of this series, but just in case you missed the last part of this series, okay, the, <laughs> Jesus in Matthew 24 says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man. Does he know now? Yeah, I do think that he knows now. But Jesus says, nobody knows. Cassidy on September 23rd asked me, Dad, do you think Jesus is coming back today? And I said, I do not think Jesus is coming back today. Listen, anytime anybody says, Jesus is coming back today, put it down. That is a day Jesus is not coming back. I don't care what they said on their YouTube channel. And I don't care what kind of charts they have. And I don't, a Christian numerologist said, what is a Christian numerologist? Right? Some nerd said, Jesus is coming back the 23rd. We're here. We're here. And here's what that does. The rest of the world looks at that and says, you know what? I knew these people were cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs anyway. And nothing happened. Jesus says, nobody knows. Nobody knows. And he's vague on purpose. See, tell me a time when wars and rumors of wars has not been happening. Tell me a time in human history, no earthquakes. Tell me a time in history, no famine. Tell me a time in history, no pestilence. You know what? What Jesus says here sounds exactly like Revelation chapter 6. So if you got a Bible, go ahead. I told you we're going to a lot of places. Revelation chapter 6 are the seven seal judgments. Okay, the seven seal judgments. If you want a really good bedtime story to read to your kids at night, read the seven seal judgments to your kid, lights completely off, and say, good night. It's awesome. It's great. It's great. It's done wonders for my children. Revelation chapter 6. So, so Jesus is opening up these seals, verse 3. I'm going to read through all of these. When Jesus, that Jesus is the he, okay? When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, maybe you're familiar with that kind of idea. That's who these creatures are. The, four, the second living creature says, come, verse 4. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So what is that? That's war. Let's continue to read. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. Its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. What's that? Most people think that that's talking about economic inequality. Tell me a time in human history that hasn't been happening. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was death and Hades followed him and they were given authority watch 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 they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of 
the earth. What's that? That's famine and disease. Verses nine through 11, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they bore. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. We'll talk about that last that, that next week, actually. But what, what's that? That's the cry of the martyrs, people who have been killed for their faith, crying out for justice from Jesus to avenge their death. Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. That one's pretty easy. And the sun became black as sackcloth, and full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll. It's being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave, free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come who can stand here's something you ought to know about the book of revelation you may want to write this down revelation is not just about the future now it is but it's not only about the future revelation is also about about events that happened in the past so you can read parts of the book of Revelation and, and it'll tell us about how Satan, who is a created angel, was cast out of heaven, things that happened before even the world was created. So the book of Revelation contains things that happened in the past, talks about things that were happening in the present, some of the present in the, in the time of the biblical writers and a lot of them in, the, in our present day and a lot of things in the future. So Revelation talks about things that happened in the past, present, and future. Again, when has there never been a time when there hasn't been wars, rumors of wars, earthquake, famine, pestilence? Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what we need to see. These things have been happening. They're going to continue to happen. And the closer we get to Jesus coming back, those things are going to happen with more frequency and more intensity. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Right? Now, maybe you hear that and you think, Mark, I mean, that sounds bad. I mean, Mark, that one horse but there, verse, uh, verse 8, given authority over a, thir- a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with war, with famine, with pestilence. Mark, is it, you're saying some of these things have happened and they're happening. Is, has anything happened to that degree? Well, I want to give us a really quick shot of history and show us that it has. I didn't put this list together. This was uh, put together by Sam Storms. Sam Storms is a theologian, pastor in Oklahoma, a really good resource on the book of Revelation and just trying to help us to see that what Jesus says has been happening. It is, it's going to continue. Puts a list together and I just got this from him because I just found this so helpful. Think about this. Many of you know this. You guys are way better at history than I am. Think about this. Hitler and the Nazis, okay? Hitler and the Nazis killed more than six million Jewish men, women, and children. Six million. Joseph Stalin, Joseph Stalin. Conservative estimates say that Joseph Stalin killed 20 million, 20 million of his people. That's conservative. Most people believe that Joseph Stalin killed between 30 to 35 million people. You look back at some of the wars in our history, the Civil War, 640,000 people died in the Civil War. World War I, more than 41 million. World War II, more than 60 million. Vietnam, 1.3 million. Jesus said, listen, listen, 
Before I come back, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. Someone recently did a study to see how many wars actually took place between the years 1870 to the year 2000. This was not a Christian study. This was just a study from a secular university. How many wars actually took place? Not rumors, actual fighting. Between the years 1870 to the years 2000, 130 years. How many wars do you think would take place? Here's the exact number. 3,168. What about famine? What about earthquakes, disease? 165 AD. In 165 AD, pestilence broke out in the Roman Empire, and, it believed, and it's believed to have been the first outbreak of smallpox. And for 15 years, that spread, and it's believed to have killed anywhere from one-fourth to a half of the Roman Empire. 1692 to 1694, 15%. Listen to this, listen to this. 1692 to 1694, 15% of the entire population of France starved to death. That's 2.8 million people. In 1695, a famine hit Estonia, killing a fifth of the population. The Black Death, you've probably heard of that in history class, the Black Death or the bubonic plague. Scholars disagree on how many people died, but on the low end, 75 million people died from the Black Death. On the upper end, 200 million. In England alone, listen to this, in England alone, four out of 10 men, women, and children died from the Black Death. In Florence, Population before, population before the Black Death uh, began to spread, population was 100,000. After it, just a few years later, 50,000 people had died. In March of 1520, the Spanish fleet arrived in Mexico. Population of Mexico was 22 million. Eight months later, the population was just 14 million. In eight months, eight million people died. Most people believe, believe it was a spread of smallpox. Let's bring it into our day. Let's bring it into our day. In our day alone, in our day, up to this, up to today, more than 30 million people have died from AIDS. You think this stuff's not happening? I, I, got, I got online a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to find just some research about earthquakes, and I went to the National Earthquake Information Center, and here's what I found. The strongest earthquake on record happened January 23rd, 1556 in Shensai, China. It was a magnitude 8 earthquake, and 830 people were killed. January 12th, 2010, I remember watching the news when this happened in Haiti. Maybe you were watching it as well. January 12th, 2010, in Haiti, a magnitude 7 earthquake hit that killed an estimated 222,570 people. That same institute, the National Earthquake Institute, they locate between 12 to 14,000 earthquakes every year. Jesus says, listen, these things are happening. They've been happening, and they're going to continue to happen. And listen, here's my personal opinion. I think that right now you can make a very good case that those things are increasing to happen more and more with greater frequency. Maybe you disagree, maybe you agree, but I believe that we can watch the news, look at the world, and see what Jesus said is going to happen. It is happening right now. So Jesus said, this has been happening, it's happening now, it's gonna continue to happen. Wars, earthquakes, rumors of wars, but what? But, but go back to Matthew 24 with me. Matthew 24, let's look at those three verses again. Matthew 24, verses six through eight, he says this. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But watch this next phrase. Watch this, watch this, watch this. See that you are not, what? Alarmed. See that you are not afraid. So many people, we, we, we look at the world around us, and listen, isn't it easy to be afraid right now? Let's be honest. Isn't it easy to be afraid? 
It's easy to be afraid right now. And, and people look at the world, the normal reaction, I mean, listen, the normal reaction to wars, rumors of war, wars, earthquakes, famine, and pestilence, the normal reaction is fear. But listen, we are not normal. We are the people of God. And God has never told his people, be afraid. God has never called the church to live in fear. In the middle of wars and rumors of wars and earthquake and famine and pestilence, Jesus says, church, do not be afraid. Man, I have so many people tell me they can't read the book of Revelation. Mark, I can't read the book of Revelation. Why? Because it freaks me out. Scares me to death. What do you think the number one theme running all, through all 22 chapters of Revelation is? Number one theme is this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In fact, I'll show it to you. Take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter one. This is exactly how it starts. Revelation chapter one. In Revelation chapter one, verse 11, it says, Jesus is talking to John and he says, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength when I saw Jesus I said what's up homie no nope. nope when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead I was done when I saw Jesus but Jesus laid his right hand on me John says saying what do not be afraid. Fear not. I am the first and the last and living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Right there for the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. How in the world, with, with possibly on the brink of nuclear war, how in the world in light of the biggest mass shooting in the history of our country, how in the world in light of everything that could happen to your family, it could happen to your kids, and could happen to you when apparently we go anywhere today, how in the world can we not be afraid? Because that's what Jesus calls us to do. See, so many times we talk about the end times, we want to know who the Antichrist is, and we want to know when the rapture is, and we want to know, or what about the great tribulation? And I love what Jesus does because Jesus says, listen, if I told you who the Antichrist is, would you still struggle with fear? If I answered all your minute questions about all the little small details about the end times, would you still be afraid? Because that is what I want to deal with. How can we not be afraid? I think two ways. Two ways that you and I cannot be afraid, and here we go, we're gonna burn through these pretty fast. Here's the first way, we gotta fight fear. Number one, we gotta fight fear. God does not call us to live in fear. Did you know that? Did you know that? Five of you know that, did you know that? Did you know that it is not the will of God for your life to be afraid? It is not the will of God for your life to be afraid. See, we need to stop normalizing what God says isn't normal. And we've got to understand that when you look at God's original creation, Genesis 1 and 2, you know what's not in the garden? Fear. 
Nobody is afraid in the garden. Fear isn't anywhere around in the garden. Fear has never been a part of God's perfect plan for our lives. Now, I say all that, and I know that so many people struggle with anxiety and depression, and that is a legitimate struggle. That is a legitimate battle. And by the grace of our good God, he gives us what's called common grace, and he gives us the common grace of doctors and medicine. So listen, if you need that and you are using that and that is helping you in that fight, then listen, you continue to walk that path and you continue to fight that fight and praise God that God's given you means and things that you can use to battle and to tackle and to deal with anxiety and depression on a daily basis. But church, we have got to understand, fear is not the will of God for his people. There are too many followers of Jesus walking around afraid, amen? Listen, fear is gonna come, okay? Fear is gonna come. Fear is gonna call you on the phone. You ever get a phone call from a number you don't know? Right? Now, I know what some of y'all do because I call some of y'all and y'all don't answer. And then when I call 27 times later, Pastor, I didn't know it was you. I know you didn't know. You've been ignoring. All right? Right? I get calls all the time, Idaho. I don't know nobody lives in Idaho. I don't even know if people live in Idaho. All right? I answer the phone. It's some lady named Jenny telling me that I'm telling me, congratulations, I just want to cruise. All right? Right? But what do you do? You get a number you don't recognize. What do you do a lot of times? You just ignore that call, don't you? You just maybe answer it and just instantly hang up. Listen, what do you do when fear calls? Because when fear calls, fear will talk your ever-loving mind off, won't it? Won't it? A lot of times when fear calls, you know what we do? We answer. Hello? Hey, it's fear. Hey, fear, what are you doing? And fear will talk to you. Have you seen the news today? Have Have you seen the news? You haven't seen the news? Let me sum it up. We're all going to die We're all going to die. Yeah, our faces are probably going to melt off. It's going to be horrible. And listen, if that doesn't kill you first, have you heard about how bad the flu is this season? You should probably get a flu shot, but in your case, it's probably not going to work because nothing ever works right in your life, does it? It does it. And we just listen to that over and over and over. See, Psalm 56 verse 3 says, when I am afraid. So listen, I'm going to be afraid. And you're going to be afraid. But when fear comes, we can make the choice in the power of the Spirit of God. We can make the choice whether to hang up or to pick up. You know what I'm saying? And then listen, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit to hang up and to not listen to fear's voice because fear is always going to tell us that what's on the news, that what the doctor just said, that what's happening at school, what's happening at work, nobody can handle it, not even Jesus. But we have got to declare war on fear. We've got to fight fear. Amen? We, we've got to fight fear. And so the question is how? How do you fight fear? I think the way that you fight fear is in the second last point, second thing we need to see. The way that you fight fear is you've got to fight to see. You've got to fight to see. Say, so, well, Mark, all I see is what's happening with North Korea. Mark, all I see is what the doctor told me. Mark, all I see is that my marriage isn't working. Mark, all I see is what's going on with my kids. Mark, all I see is that life isn't working out the way that it was going to work out. Did you see the way that I hoped it was going to work out? But did you see what Jesus said to John in verse 11 of Revelation 1? Look at it again. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says this to John. John, write down what you see in a book and send it to the churches. John, John, write down what you see in a book because I want my church, I want my people to see what you are seeing. So, so John saw what? Who, who did John see? John saw Jesus. 
right? And look at what he said about Jesus. Look at what he said. John turns around, and in verse 13, he sees one like a son of man. That phrase, son of man, it's a phrase out of the book of Daniel. It means that Jesus has total authority over every single nation, kingdom, and power in the world. Listen, North Korea may not realize it, but North Korea is under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus right now. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? They're, listen, listen, they're in the blade of grass in the universe outside of the sovereign will of Jesus today, right? He's the son of man. He's the son of man. And look, he was clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. That means that Jesus is a priest. And that's great news that Jesus is a priest because that means that Jesus is representing God on our behalf. Listen, not only does Jesus have authority over the nations, Jesus has authority to forgive your sin. Jesus has authority to cleanse you from your past. Jesus has authority to remove your guilt. Listen, you don't need to try to be good to impress God. You don't need to go to church for six years to impress God. Everything that God, everything that God requires, Jesus has done for us. And right now, Summit, we have a priest before God on our behalf, and his name is Jesus, and he has authority over our sin. And in him, we are cleansed and accepted. And John saw it. But he goes on, he goes on. He says the hair of his head were white. What's that mean? Infinite wisdom. Man, if you got a decision you don't know how to make, ask Jesus what to do, amen? You feel stuck and you don't know what the next move is, ask Jesus what what the next move is. You need some help figuring out your future, ask Jesus about your future because Jesus has infinite wisdom. Not only that, but he says, look, he he had hair like white, like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. What's that mean? Here's what that means. It means you can't fake out Jesus. Man, Jesus' eyes pierce through every single facade, every single mask. Jesus sees through your religion. Did you know that? Jesus sees through your act. You know what? I just come here because my parents make me, but they, they think I'm doing this for the right reasons, but nobody really knows. God knows. Nobody knows what I'm doing in secret. Jesus has eyes like fire, and he sees all of it. You can't hide it from him. You can't hide it from him. John just continues to go on. Jesus says, I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I live forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. You ask most people, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? What do people say? That you die? Did you know that Jesus is in control of that too? Jesus is in control of when you die. Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. And Jesus says to John, I want the church to see me. See, you want to fight fear. The way that you fight fear is seeing Jesus. Man, that's what we're doing here every single Sunday. We are not, listen, listen, we are not here because we feel like we need to sing a couple songs and I need to get up and talk to people for about 45 minutes. We are here to see Jesus. Amen? That's it. That's the only reason, that we want to see Jesus, that that we want to see. Man, ask yourself this. Have you ever saw Jesus in such a way that it melted away the fear that you had? Didn't change your circumstance, but man, have you ever seen Jesus in such a way, maybe singing a song, maybe in the middle of a sermon, maybe just in your time and reading the word of God, but have you ever seen Jesus so that your situation didn't change, but so that you saw him and everything was the same, but you had peace? Yeah, has that ever happened to you? Because Jesus wants that to to happen to you. Jesus wants to give you that. How can I have it? To see Jesus, that's why I said at the front, we gotta ask Jesus for eyes to see, Summit. 
We gotta ask Jesus for ears to hear. We gotta ask Jesus for, to open our eyes so that we can see him, so that we will not listen to fear. Man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that in the days that we live in, and increasingly as the days continue, there's gonna be reason to be afraid, is there not? The normal reaction is fear. But we are not normal. We are the people of God. We are God's church. We are the people that Jesus bought. Listen, listen, listen. This is not hype. Do you understand that? This is not hype. I feel, I am not, I'm not a cheerleader. Okay? I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not even trying to inspire you today. I'm telling you, this is what Jesus says. And some of you watch the news Fox News and MSNBC and CNN and you listen to everybody on talk radio and listen, you are afraid and if, listen, those are the biggest voices in your life, you ought to be scared out of your ever-loving mind. Fear is a multi-million dollar business, amen? They want you to live afraid and Jesus is calling the church to rise and live a different way and says, do not be afraid. How? I need to see him. And you need to see them. So people are going to come and they're going to say, have you seen what's happening with North Korea? Have you, have you heard about what happened in Las Vegas? What do you think is going to happen to our kids? What do you think about what's going to happen next year? What do you think about the economy? And you can do two things. You can be afraid. Or you can look at them and say, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what that person is going to do. But I know that my God tells me, do not be afraid. And I will believe him no matter what I see tonight on the news and no matter what any president, no matter what any ruler, no matter what any dictator does, I will live through all of it and not be alarmed because in Jesus, I am safe. And I want to say this before we close. You might be here today and you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Number one, you are loved. You are loved by God in ways that you could never know. And number two, I heard an old Puritan. I actually didn't hear an old Puritan because they've been dead a long time. I read an old Puritan. That's the correct way to say it. I read an old Puritan who said this one time. God is terrible outside of Jesus Christ. Say, what's that mean? Here's what that means. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, you should be afraid. And I say that not trying to freak anybody out. People who have been around here know I'm not one of these alarmist guys. The end is coming. That's not the way I roll, man. I don't do that stuff. But if you're here today and you are not a Christian, I love you enough to tell you, you should be afraid. Say, why? Here's why. Because if you step into eternity and you just continue saying no to Jesus, no to Jesus, no to Jesus, no to Jesus, you are going to step into eternity and stand in front of one who has eyes like fire and has infinite wisdom. And you will stand in front of the Son of Man, authority over all things. And unless you receive him as Lord and Savior, if you reject him, trust me, the other option is horrible. To step into eternity without Jesus, to try to make it on your own, to try to plead your own righteousness, to try to plead your own goodness. Friend, there's nothing to plead. The only thing we can plead is the blood of Jesus on our behalf. That's it. So today, if you need Jesus, He's ready and willing to save you today. All you've got to do is cry out to him. And today, today,
because he loves you, because he's good, and he paid your price, he can save you today just like that. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I come to you right now in your strong name.